Luke 19, 28 through 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Sometimes I'm, um, I'm watching a, a uh, football or a basketball game or something on TV and uh, they will... the. Uh, the network will cut away to show sort of what's happening behind the scenes. They'll, they'll take you to the producer's room or whatever it is where you have the, the people who are in charge of, of putting the broadcast together. You know, you've got the people with the different uh, screens and camera angles and they're, they're putting the highlights together. They're putting the, the graphics up on the screen. They're, 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 they're putting the broadcast together. And so... They'll show that, and they're in there working, and it's it's like interesting for seven or eight seconds, and then like, well, that's I don't I don't want to see that. I just want to see the game. Stop showing me that. That's interesting. I don't care anymore. Um, show me the game. And so I'm going to run a little bit of a risk this morning as I as I open up the sermon because I'm going to talk for just I won't exhaust your patience, but I'll come close. I'm going to talk for just a few seconds about putting this sermon together. Um, I know those of you who know me don't want any more insight into my mind and the way it works than you already have. Uh, just bear with me for a minute anyhow, because um, then I'll just preach the actual sermon. But I, uh, I was reading this passage this week, um, and I'm actually going to... I'm not going to stop at verse 40. I'm actually going to go all the way through verse 44 where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Um, I've tacked on those four verses as well, because I was reading them. I was like, man, this, this is all one thing. It's all one thing. I know that. But, but what is Luke trying to emphasize? Because when I put together a sermon, I, I want the emphasis of the sermon, I want the point of the sermon to be the point of the passage. Um, Otherwise, you're just kind of getting my wisdom, and uh, 
And that's a waste of time. And so, um, I want, you know, I want the point of the sermon to be the point of the passage. Well, what is the point of the passage, though? What is it that Luke is trying to emphasize? Because I was reading it this week, and I was like, it seems like Luke is really emphasizing Jesus' humility and His kindness. That's what it seems like. But then also, you look at it, it seems like Jesus, or it seems like Luke is emphasizing Jesus' kingship. The fact that He's Lord over all creation. So, so what is it Luke wants us to zone in on? The humility, and the kindness, and the courageous, um, persistent love of Jesus? Or the fact that Jesus is Lord over all creation? Now, I am not as swift as I pretend to be, so it took me a while, but then I remembered, oh yeah, I could just do both, right? Could be, could be both is the answer. And the more I thought about it, the more I prayed, the more I read, yeah. Luke wants us to see both. Luke wants us to see Jesus' humility for sure. But he also wants us to come to terms with his kingship. Jesus is the humble Savior. And he is also the Lord over all creation. So that's kind of some of the process I went through this week. It's about as, it's about as much as you care to know. Um, now that we're done talking about writing the sermon, we'll get to the actual sermon. And the sermon itself, because of all that, is divided up into two statements. Two statements. This is a two-statement sermon this morning. Number one, you should love Jesus for His humility and kindness. You should love Jesus for His humility and kindness. Statement number two, but even if you don't, He's still the Lord of creation. You should love Jesus for His humility and kindness, but even if you don't, He's still the Lord of creation. Statement number one, you should love Jesus for His humility and kindness. The compassion... The courageous love, the, the humility and kindness that Jesus shows in these verses is all over the place. And it's almost overwhelming. As we start in verse 28, Jesus, when He had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is, is determined to go to Jerusalem. When He drew near to Bethpage and uh, Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering, entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. So Jesus has a colt. Uh, uh, Matthew or Mark says it's the colt of a donkey. Jesus has a, a colt that he is going to procure for his use. He says, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. This is a very common thing to do back then. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, just like Jesus said they would, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, it's time. Let's go. We know that Jesus knows how this is going to go. Just a few verses ago, he said to his disciples, See, we are going up 
to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise. Jesus knows exactly what will happen when He goes to Jerusalem. He has set His gaze like flint towards Jerusalem. He is going to Jerusalem and He knows what He is walking right into. He is walking right into a brutal, shameful, painful death. Actually, we see here, He's riding into it, isn't He? He's chosen to ride into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem, and he knows that this choice that he's making here, sitting on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, he knows the kind of reaction he's going to get from this. Zechariah 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to this. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knows that when the people of Jerusalem see him riding into town on a donkey, he knows this is what they're going to be thinking about. He knows. This is like, this is like the point of no return. This is like that, that kid, he says, cross that line and I'll punch you in the face. Jesus crosses the line. I am your king. I am your only hope for salvation. What do you think about that? This is what Jesus is doing. When he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, he's saying, I am your king. And he knows that his enemies will not be able, they, they're going to freak out. They're not going to be able to handle this. This is going to be too much for the little brains. They're not, they're not going to be able to deal with it. They're going to, they're going to freak out. And they are going to do exactly what we read in those, those few verses earlier. They are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. They're, they're going to have him mocked and, and shamefully treat, treated and spit upon and flogged and killed. He knows what he's doing. He knows how this will end. His people don't know. The ones shouting, blessed is the king, they they don't know. But Jesus knows what kind of king he is. He knows what it's going to cost him to claim his throne. He knows. He knows that he is going to suffer the most shameful death imaginable. And he presses forward anyway. In fact, he gets the ball rolling here, doesn't he? He initiates it, doesn't he? Why? Because he is filled with selfless, sacrificial love. He is humble and kind. Continuing on, in verse 36, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, And he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. These disciples, these ones that had been following Jesus, they're the ones sort of leading the charge when it comes to to yelling out, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They're they're quoting sort of Psalm 118. It's just blessed is the one. They, They filled in King. 
Because that's, that's definitely the vibe of that psalm. Here is the King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and, and the disciples are leading that anthem because they've seen the mighty works that Jesus has done. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Sounds a lot like the way the book of Luke started. Glory to God in the highest. The King is here. And some of the Pharisees, verse 39, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, shut those guys up. Verse 40. I think this is the hinge verse of this whole passage. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So imagine the scene with me. That Jesus' followers, they're, they're, they're basically laying out the red carpet for Jesus. They're shouting His praises. Now, what we have to understand if we're gonna, if we're gonna get our heads around the humility and the kindness of Jesus in this particular passage, we have to understand these disciples have no idea what they're talking about. They are very confused. Um, as we work through now the final week of Jesus' life here on earth, as we work on, as we, as we go through his, 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 this week leading up to his death and burial and resurrection, his, his holy week as we call it, they're entering that week right now. And we're going to see as they go through this week, um, they're, they're, they're going to have a hard week. The disciples are going to have a hard time understanding what is going on. They are not ready for what's about to happen in Jerusalem. They're going to be very shocked. And they're not going to have their finest moments. They're going to prove themselves to be very skittish, very unreliable in the days to come. But... They understand here that Jesus is worthy of our praise and that we should proclaim Him as King. They are confused, but they love Jesus. And so I want you to see Jesus' kindness here. He gladly accepts their worship. He, he rebukes those who would rebuke them. He shushes those who would shush Him. Shush them. He gladly accepts their worship. This reminds me and maybe this, maybe you won't resonate with this, but it reminds me of the countless times when Jesus should have shrugged me off. I have um, proven myself many times to be skittish and unreliable. I have not been the faithful follower day in and day out that I would like to claim that I am. Many times I've been like that friend. You, got, you, you have a friend who like, they see you and they, hey, yeah, let's hang out. I love you, man. Blah, 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 blah. And then you don't hear anything from them for weeks or months. And the next time you see them, yeah, blah, blah, blah. shut up. Isn't that, though, a little bit how we are with Jesus? We are inconsistent at best. We go days without praising Him. 
days without thanking him, days without telling people we love how wonderful he is to us. We fade out when we should dig in and serve him and sacrifice for his gospel. We fade out when things get rough. Yet yet, yet Jesus graciously loves to hear from us. He graciously accepts and even enjoys our worship. He doesn't shrug us off or give us the cold shoulder. He continues drawing us out and sharpening our faith and encouraging us. He is so humble and kind. Now to this last little section in verse 41. We see His humility and His kindness one more time here. And when he, drew, when he drew near, verse 41, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. You, you could have had peace, Jerusalem. You could have had it. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground because you and your children, or I'm sorry, you and your children with you and they will not leave one stone upon, upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't turn to me when you should have. You rejected the prophets Century after century after century. So God, we're going to see it next week. So God sent the Son. Surely they will listen to Him. And they killed Him. Jesus knows that He is Jerusalem's only chance for peace. Jesus knows that that Jerusalem is going to be besieged and destroyed by Rome. Rome is going to take the city down. It's going to happen just a few decades after this. Their political enemies will, will take them down. And this is just a small picture of the rest of the judgment they will face. Because they've turned their back on Jesus. They could have had peace. Jesus knows that He is Jerusalem's only real chance for peace. He, He knows that their main enemy is their own sin. That His sacrificial death is their only hope to be forgiven. And he also knows that for the most part, they're going to reject him. They're going to refuse to see him as Savior and King. They are going to be responsible for nailing him to that cross. And then, even after he rises from the dead, they're going to refuse to see that the death was the, that the death of Jesus was the sacrifice that they needed for their sin. Thankfully, some will believe. We'll see that in the book of Acts. But many of them, most of them, will reject him bringing about their own destruction. This is where it gets very interesting for me. Because you would think that since Jesus knows all this, since since Jesus knows that, that, that they're going to reject Him, that He's going to humble Himself to die at their hands, And even after He rises from the dead, they're going to want nothing to do with Him. You would think that Jesus would would say, I'm done with you then. But He doesn't do that. When Jesus considers the judgment that these people are bringing upon themselves, He doesn't say, well, I guess you're going to get what you deserve. And no, instead He weeps. They're going to murder Him and He's weeping weeping for them because they're, they're going to be judged for it. He's weeping over the judgment they're bringing upon themselves for His murder. 
He is so humble. So kind. Now, here's what should happen in your heart and in my heart when we see the humility and kindness of Jesus. I I can't make this happen in your heart. I can't make it happen in my heart. I do believe that it is happening in our hearts. And I am thankful that the Spirit is doing this work in our hearts. But here's what, here's what should happen. Here's what should happen. We should see the humility and the kindness and the, and the determined love that Jesus has for us. And we should be moved to love Him. Our hearts should be stirred for Him. We should be convinced that Jesus is worthy of our, of our devotion. But here's the thing. Those of you that I know well in this room, I think you're convinced. I think you're convinced or you're good at faking it. But I don't know everybody super well in this room. So what we have to say here, for all of us, me, you, all of us, what we have to say here is that even if we're not convinced, in the end, it doesn't matter what we think. We don't change reality at all just because we don't like it. So statement number one, you should love Jesus for His humility and kindness. As we go through this, your heart should be stirred for Him. Statement number two, but even if you don't, He's still the Lord of creation. Statement number two, even if you don't love Jesus, He's still the Lord of creation. Uh, People reject the Jesus of the Bible for all kinds of reasons. Some people don't like that they need a Savior. They don't like the idea that they need a Savior. That's offensive. Or maybe they don't like the idea that they can't be their own king. For one reason or another, lots of people find the Jesus of the Bible to be either offensive or unnecessary or both. Sometimes, at first, they like His humility and His kindness, but then they come to realize that Jesus' humility and kindness does not mean that, they'll let him, that, that he'll, he'll let them just do whatever they want to do, or that they'll, He'll make sure they don't have any health problems, or that money is never tight. Once they realize they can't decide what Jesus' kindness means, they can't dictate to Jesus what it means for Him to be Savior and King, they'll ditch Him. It's a sad thing, but many people don't love the Jesus of the Bible. But what we have to understand, and and I think the one of the, 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 the main points of this passage is that this isn't a democracy. We're we're not voting on on who's king and who's not. Jesus isn't polling us for what kind of king we want Him to be. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He is the King. 
This passage shows us in a, in a very small way, right, with the, with the story of the donkey, Jesus is in charge. Jesus has decided when he's going to lay down his life to save guilty sinners. Jesus says, here we go. Jesus says, go get the donkey. Here's where it is. Tell the man this. We're, go, we're going. It's go time. Jesus is in charge of the story. We see that in that small little way, but then we see it in a big way when the Pharisees try to shush his disciples. These are some of the scariest verses in the Bible. The Pharisees just blatantly say to Jesus, tell your followers to stop praising you. Tell your followers to stop talking about you as if you were the king. Tell your followers to shut up. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I I tell you that if these disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, do you really think you can stop me from being praised? Do you really think you can stop my creation from glorifying me? Do you really think this is going to... This is what? Who do you think you are? How do you think this is going to end? If, if these disciples stopped praising me, inanimate creation would cry out in worship. You cannot diminish my glory, Jesus says. In other words, what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is, I am going to get glory out of you. I will either get glory because you worship me, or I will get glory when I punish you. I am going to get glory from my creation. Jesus says, this is not a democracy. I am going to get glory from my creation. I will receive glory because you worship me, or I will receive glory through punishing you for your rebellion. And as we saw Jesus when he was weeping over Jerusalem, punishment is indeed coming on all those who reject him. So I want to close here with a quick word to unbelievers and then a quick word to believers. First, a quick word to unbelievers. So if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't believe the gospel, does anyone here who doesn't believe the gospel? You just you don't you don't think you need a savior? or you don't think that the thing with Jesus really happened, or you're just not sure, or you're just, I don't, you just, you, you don't know, or you don't believe it. It seems a little bit too much. It's not something you want to commit to. Whatever. What we have to stop and say here, the, the quick word to you this morning, what we have to stop and say, and I'm, I, I don't want this to come off like arrogant or something like that. I, I, I hope it doesn't. But, but what we have to understand is that, is that you don't get to decide what is true and what is not true. I, I don't get to decide what is true and what is not. The, the world around us has, has done something very goofy with the word true. 
We, it, the, the, the most natural thing in the world now is to, is to just kind of live and to think and to assume that something isn't true unless I believe it. Like, I, I, it, it, the, 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 the nearest, like, um, analogy I can think of, and, and those of you who know me well know I couldn't even think of the word analogy, so I struggle, right? So, um, illustration is not my strong suit, but the, the, the closest illustration I could think of was when you play peekaboo with a toddler. Have you ever played peekaboo with a toddler? If not, I, I'm not, I can't be friends with you. But anyhow, if you never played, you gotta play peekaboo with a toddler because toddlers are ridiculous, alright? A lot of ways where not super, not super logical. When, when you, when, if you're gonna have a friendship with a toddler, you just gotta realize they're not gonna bring logic to the table very often. Alright? So you're playing peekaboo with a toddler, they will cover their eyes, and they automatically assume that you can't see them. Right? They, they really think that since they can't see you, there's no way in the world you could see them. And we think, oh, that's ridiculous. But then, how many of us treat Jesus that way? How many of us say, since, since I can't see you, since I, I refuse to accept your existence, you can't see me either? Us covering our eyes doesn't stop Jesus from existing. It doesn't. It doesn't. Jesus still sees us. He's still there, whether we want to acknowledge Him or not. We don't get to decide who's real and who's not. We don't get to decide what is real and what is not. It's not up to us. There is no excuse. Please believe the Gospel before it's too late. And please, please help, just please understand, I, I am trying and, 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 I, I'm not a naturally humble person. But I absolutely don't feel any arrogance when I say this. Please believe the Gospel before it's too late. The, the world around us has taught us that truth is what we say it is. That's, just, that's, that's not how it works. That's my quick word to to unbelievers, to people who don't believe the Gospel. Then here's a quick word to believers. Um, And again, I don't feel any arrogance in this that I know of at all, and I need to hear this just as much or more than anyone else in this room. Quick word to believers. Worship Jesus for who He is not just for what He does. Worship Jesus for who He is, not just for what He does. So so the truth is, Jesus is the Lord of creation, so He deserves your worship. On on one hand, of course, absolutely, the, the Bible is clear, we should thank Jesus for His goodness to us. He is patient and kind with us. He has done so much for us through His death on the cross. We cannot begin to calculate the worth of what He has given us. It is right and good every day to thank Him for what He's done for us. 
That's fine. It's good. But the Bible is also clear on a point that we sometimes forget. Even if Jesus had never given us anything, He'd still be worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy because He is good. Not just because He is good to us, but He is good. He is good. He is perfectly wise. He is perfectly holy. He is King over creation. He is the most admirable person in the universe. He is worthy of our praise. So, so He is worthy of our praise when He shows us His kindness in the ways that we like, in the ways that we're hoping for. He's good. And He is good when He handles our lives in ways we don't prefer. Come what may, He is good simply by existing. He is perfectly wise whether we understand it or not. He is perfectly holy whether we like it or not. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the most admirable person in the universe simply by existing. Simply by being who He is. Let's not dare think of Him as good only when He's doing what we want. Let's not dare do that. No matter what's happening in our lives, Jesus deserves so much praise that if we won't praise Him, the rocks will. And these stones aren't crying out because He saved them from their sin or given them their health back or watched over their loved ones, their other... Rocks? I don't, what, what, no, I don't know. They, they, those rocks didn't get the promotion at work they wanted. Those rocks are crying out in worship because they know what the angels know. Jesus is Lord of creation. He is good. He is worthy of all of our worship. Let's pray together. God, we don't ever want to be the reason that inanimate creation is crying out. Help us, God, to acknowledge what, what creation knows. You are worthy of all of our worship. You are worthy of all of our praise. Because You are the Lord of creation. Help us, God, to, to love that. Jesus, we thank You um, that You take delight in our praise um, even when we are, even though we are um, inconsistent at best. You take delight in our praise even, even when we forget to, to praise You simply for who You are, but we, we spend about 99% of our thankfulness on things that You've done for us. Jesus, You are good because You are good. You are holy because You are holy. You... You are worthy of our worship and our trust and our devotion and our lives simply because You are the Lord of creation. Help us more and more to believe that and help us more and more to find great joy in that.
You are humble and You are kind. You are the Lord of creation. We love You. Help us to love You more. In Jesus' name, Amen.